with you this morning um, as I get untangled from a couple of cords. But welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Logan. I am the assistant director out here, and it's a privilege to be with you. Uh, before we get started, though, let's go ahead and say a prayer together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we grateful for the way you reveal yourself to us in scripture. We thank you that you are the God who has an abiding presence with us that we can count on and rely on. I pray that as we look into this, that we would be, um, we would be drawn towards you, that in the good times and in the bad, we would rely on the strength that you bring. Help us, I pray. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. In 2003, Disney Pixar came out with a very iconic movie. Uh, we know it today as Finding Nemo. In having to write that sentence on paper, I feel old now seeing that that is uh, 20 years ago, if you're keeping track. That was a movie I watched in my childhood. Okay, I got nothing else to say about that. In the movie, Marlin, who is one of the main characters, has to go on a quest to find his son, Nemo. Uh, his son gets captured, long story, but Marlin goes across the entire ocean to try and find his son. Along the way, he has to battle sharks, he has to go through uh, underwater balloons, which turn out to be landmines, he has to deal with anglerfish in the bottom of the deep abyss, and along the way, he meets a friend named Dory. On one of these adventures, though, they came to a group of fish who gave him directions. And one of the explicit directions they gave to Marlin and Dory was, when you come to the trench, go through. Don't go over it, don't go around it, go through the trench. This didn't exactly agree with Marlin when he got there and was looking down the middle of the trench. If you take a look at a picture of it, you can see up several hundreds of feet high are rock wall cliffs. And when you look down the middle, you can't actually see the other side, nor can you see anything that's going on around it. So as you can imagine, uh, he said no and decided to swim over top of it. Now, he can get away with that because he's a fish living in water. You can actually swim over a trench, um, but that also had its own problems. It's this trench, this idea of encountering something very ominous that I want to talk about. While they're swimming there, Dory wants to take the fish's advice and go straight through. Uh, Marlin doesn't. But if we're honest, there are some points where we relate to Marlin on this issue. In our own lives, there are times we will encounter intimidating trenches, if I may use air quotes for a moment, that we cannot see through and we cannot sneak past. We live on land, we can't actually swim over anything. Although we look for ways to get around it without having to go through it, we don't have the ability to avoid certain realities in our lives. And this has a scriptural counterpart to it as well. In David's own life, he faced plenty of moments that probably would have, he would rather have swam over than gone through. But he had a very unique outlook on this. And last week, we started reading Psalm 23, and Katie shared this with us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness 
for his name's sake. David pictures a scene where God is shepherding him. In the ancient world, and even today where there are still shepherds, uh, good shepherds have to know how to care for their sheep. If you have a sheep with you, you need to know where you can get good grass, good pasture. In an arid desert like the ancient Near East, it is very, very rare to find oasises. Grass is a commodity. We live in northeastern Ohio. I can look out that window and see greenery with the trees. I can look out that window and see plenty of green grass for lawns. That is not how it was in the ancient world. Shepherds had to know where to go. They also had to know where to find springs to water their flocks. Again, it's a desert area. We take for granted uh, that we have rain in season, sometimes when we want it and sometimes when we don't. Um, but we have access to water in ways they never did. So David is intimately familiar with all of this. He spent his childhood uh, raising his father's sheep. And when he looked at his relationship with God, he was able to say to God, I recognize your intimate care that you've shown in my life. I know that in you I have no lack. I recognize you feed me, that you refresh me, and that you restore my soul and show me the right way to go. This sets the foundation for David's relationship with God. Because David had, been, had seen how God treated him throughout his life, he was willing to entrust himself to God. This sets David up to look to God when things are good and to look to God when things are scary and dark in his life. If we're willing, we can also learn about the God whose presence goes with us to protect us, to guide us, and to bless us. David continues his thoughts in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In life, the reality is we encounter hardship. Walking is a common metaphor representing the journey of life. Um, each one of us has a walk, a journey that we go on. And David gives us two pictures in this psalm of what that can look like. There is the reality in life that we encounter good times. Uh, this is what we saw in verses 1 through 3 last week. David describes those times as being beside green pastures and still waters. Um, these patches of grass and water exist. They can help sustain in a similar way, we have moments where we feel at ease, where we feel at peace, and things are going well. Life has its ups where we feel refreshed and restored. But there is also the reality that life has moments we wish we could avoid. The valley of the shadow of death. You can imagine how dark certain valleys get. Uh, my family and I went to Arizona several years ago, probably uh, 10 years ago now, and we were very surprised to find in mountainous regions, the sun is completely set by 6 or 7 p.m. If you're outside by 6 or 7 p.m., it is pitch black outside. It's difficult to see anything without some kind of light. The advice given by the locals out in Arizona and my tour guides is when you get caught 
on a mountain or in a valley and it's extremely dark out, don't move at all. Stay still. In the darkness, you can't see what's up ahead of you. You can't see if the path that you're on has a sudden drop off. You can't see if there's loose stones that you might step on or uh, cacti or what animals might be out there. You don't know when you walk through dark valleys. Breaking through the metaphor a little bit, we encounter hardships in life. This is the image that David has in mind. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death, this is a symbol, this is an idea of encountering hardships in life. We don't always have certainty and clarity of what's coming around the corner in life. We can't always see each problem I want to mention this idea because what David says is very uh, significant and very different than the advice that I heard from the locals in Arizona. The locals in Arizona said, stay put, wait for morning to come, people will come and find you, you can get help. David says, I walk. We are not supposed to stay in the valley of the shadow we walk through it. And although we might hope that God would carry us out or take us away from the problems of life, God doesn't drag us through life. Although we might desire to avoid pain and suffering, we don't get the option to drop out and take another path. We can't swim over it like Marlon does in the movie Finding Nemo. And because we live life as a journey, we can't quit either. God shepherds us and leads us through life's most difficult moments. God strengthens and empowers us through whatever circumstances we might find ourselves encountering. And we'll get to that a little bit later. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet I do not fear evil things. David's response to danger is not the thing that we're usually uh, accustomed to. When we see something frightening and unpleasant, we tend to draw back. We say, I see the danger over there. Um, if that's over there, I'm going over there and walking away. We draw back from things that are intimidating or frightening. More often than not, we also let these things affect our well-being. Um, if we just take a case study over the past 20 years of American history, I can name a half a dozen things off the top of my head where we lost a sense of well-being as a nation. If you look back to uh, 2001, we thought we were secure from the rest of the world. But then 9-11 happened, and we realized we're not that far apart. We thought our economy was stable and was a little bit more um, stable than it was. But the housing market crash in 2008, 2009 reminded us that our economy is not a constant given. It's not a guarantee in life. Attacks that have happened uh, since then, whether it be in countries or whether it be on um, uh, schools in most recent years, those affect our well-being. All of these things, and if we want to, we could also say two years ago, almost three years ago, uh, the world came to a screeching halt because of a virus. All of these things are verifiable and just scratching the surface of what had happened 
over the past 20 years in just American history. And these had a major effect on people's well-being. That's just the national level. If we bring it down to a personal level, we can say, uh, we can see times in our own lives where we encountered difficulties and stresses. When we see natural disasters like tornadoes that could sweep through our areas, or maybe it has swept through your area, depending on where you're from, uh, that gives us a different perspective on life. We lose a sense of well-being about that. I remember joking in 2012, uh, maybe it was a little bit after that, um, when one of the hurricanes came through, and we actually felt some of the effects of it in northeastern Ohio. We don't border the ocean, but we sure as heck felt it. And we had a sense of, okay, maybe the ocean isn't that far away as we thought. We can still feel the effects and lose our well-being over it. When we look at life and we get test results from a doctor, one of our loved ones get test results back from a doctor, we can lose our sense of well-being because of that. Um, it is a dark time when you get an unfavorable answer. When we stare down the inevitability of passing away, um, it's easy to be at a complete loss of what to do. Over the past couple of months, I've uh, helped out the church with probably half a dozen or a dozen funerals and, and attended several more uh, that were family related. And that's only a fraction of what I've heard about happening. There is a real sense that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death in our own lives. And I want to be clear about this. David isn't denying the reality of what's going on. He isn't saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's really not that bad. I can handle it. It's really just, you know, not a big deal. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he takes reality as it is, and yet he does not allow it to wreck his well-being. The question becomes, how? What does he do that enables him to live without fear? He's, the next point that David makes is, we're incapable of dealing with this on our own. The confidence for our well-being comes from the abiding presence of God. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are There is a sense of comfort that comes from the abiding presence of God. And this is how David says it in metaphorical language. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These were symbols of how shepherds interacted with sheep. Um, from what I could tell in the commentaries, um, whether or not they were the same thing, I don't know, but how they functioned were slightly different. Rods were typically used to fend off wild animals or attackers. Uh, you had to deal with lions, you had to deal with thieves and robbers, you had to have some way of defending your sheep. That's what a rod symbolizes. And because he has that protection from God, David feels secure enough to say, I will not fear evil. And the other part of this is his staff. Uh, typically, if, you, I, if you've ever gone on a hike or a walking, take a walking stick, for one thing, it helps support you. Uh, definitely invaluable if you hike a mountain. But the other way that was used was to help guide the sheep. 
It was a gentle little tap to remind them, hey, stay on the right path. There's a cliff over here. I don't want you falling over. Go back over. As opposed to the rod, which was for protection and defending, the staff says, this is the right way. Follow it. Because David was able to trust God for direction and for protection, he was able to stand up against these things and not lose his sense of well-being. This idea came up in my life group a couple weeks back when we were studying the book of Romans, and I think it might be helpful for us to continue thinking about this for a moment. If you're newer to the faith or you're just exploring Christianity for the first time, uh, this may not sound all that appealing. Why would God, and this is a normal question that people have asked throughout the centuries, if God is good, why does he allow people he cares about to experience the valley of the shadow of death, to experience suffering. And what this idea says, um, although we can't unpack it all, is that God may allow us to walk through difficult circumstances. God may allow us to experience things that are unpleasant, but he does not let us go through them alone. The own, his own promise in here is, uh, David recognizes, you are with me. He doesn't take us out of suffering, but he chooses to walk through suffering with us. He doesn't abandon us in our hardships. Looking forward to the New Testament, where I got this idea from my Bible study a couple of weeks ago, we understand that this is not how things will always be. The valley of the shadow of death is temporary in comparison to what's coming. Paul writes in the book of Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. This side of eternity, many trips in the valley of the shadow of death will be taken. They're not pleasant, but we don't fear. When we experience the fullness of our hope and trust in God, all of our travels through life's darkest moments will fade into a distant memory one day, replaced by the awe and wonder of standing in the presence of God. So then there's another question that arises, which is how do we know that God will always be with us? How do we know God sticks with us. Um, if we've read scripture, even for a little bit, we recognize uh, one of the main themes is uh, brokenness. We mess up, and it uh, hurts our relationship with God. It separates us from God. So how can we be certain that God's presence would be with us? Well, David gives us certainty of God's favor towards us in this next phrase. This is uh, Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. This, again, is very metaphorical language. We usually don't talk about setting up a table unless it's for uh, Thanksgiving or some other holiday or uh, get-together event. But in the ancient culture, as uh, some commentators have noted, um, all of these ideas show favor from God towards David. If you prepare a meal for someone, 
you basically say, I trust you. I, we have a healthy relationship. I want to show you my favor. When you anoint someone's head with oil, uh, oil was a precious commodity. Uh, we don't, they didn't have it as mass produced then as we do now. So to wash somebody with oil was saying, let me show, shower you with my blessing. And when uh, he says, my cup is overflowing, that is also a sign that God is giving them blessing after blessing from his own resources. When David pictures God doing all of this for him, he understands that God is showing his good favor towards him. In our own lives, God shows the same kind of favor towards us. The way we have certainty of God's abiding presence in our lives is the same way he demonstrated his faithfulness to David 3,000 years ago. And this is the point that God demonstrates. We don't ensure God's favor to us, towards us by preparing a table for him. If we wanted to earn God's favor, if we wanted to demonstrate our goodwill towards God, we would be the ones setting a table for him. We would be giving him oil. We would make his cup overflow. But that's not what David pictures. What David pictures is God showing these things towards himself. God's good favor towards him also could not be hindered by the presence of his enemies. David was a military man as well as a shepherd. And I've never been in the military, but I've heard stories uh, from family and from friends who have. If you're in the military, even if you are on a military base, you keep a lookout 24-7. You're not guaranteed to be able to walk from your dorm to the uh, food hall to get your lunch. Um, war could break out at any second on a military base. You're not safe walking from your barracks to the command post, uh, there is danger. So to be able to sit down, in spite of having enemies around, shows that God's purpose, God's favor, could not be thwarted, even by difficult circumstances, even by people with an evil agenda. The hard circumstances of life are not able to stop God's purpose. Uh, towards us. This is a beautiful passage that helps us deal with difficult circumstances of reality. David's entire point in this is saying, this is the God who is with you. If you want to move through life, encounter difficult circumstances, which everyone does, and move through it without fear, there is but one way you can do it, and that is by trusting in the presence of God. He demonstrates his faithfulness towards us by showering us with his favor. But I can't leave it there just yet. Uh, one more time with me. Let's take a trek through scripture. This phrase, valley of the shadow of death, repeats a handful of times throughout scripture. One of the most significant times comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing uh, during the reigns of the kings of Judah, and he's envisioning a time where Israel would be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This is what he says, Isaiah chapter two, uh, chapter nine, verse two. The people who walked in darkness, the people who lived and dwelt in a land of deep darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death. 
he sees that this is a time of crisis, that this is a time where people will encounter hardship. But this is what he says about that darkness, that shadow of death. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the valley of the shadow of death, on them a great light has dawned. Although they may not have been able to see it at that time, this is about 700 years uh, B.C., when the gospel writer Matthew comes along, he sees this passage and he said, what they didn't necessarily understand, we know to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The person, uh, the people dwelling in a land of deep darkness, in the land of the shadow of death, on them a great light has dawned. On them morning has broken. And we see this most fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who was a child born to us, um, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Um, his government would continue to increase, and of peace there would be no end. On the throne of his David he would sit, and God would establish it and uphold him with justice and with righteousness. God's own zeal would do this. This is what Isaiah pictured that would help bring people out of a land of the valley of the shadow of death. And this is what Matthew says, Jesus Christ came to fulfill. So how did Jesus bring people out of the valley of the shadow of death? By experiencing the darkness for us. If you will permit me to continue the shepherd motif one more time, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me, and I know my sheep. One of the things that characterizes the good shepherd is that he, the good shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. Where God, where Christ experienced this uh, death for us, we now get to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We do not stay in the valley of the shadow of death. If you want to know just how far God's shepherding goes, look to Christ. Jesus walked through the ultimate valley of death's shadow at the cost of his life for you and I. This is the ultimate confirmation we have, that God's presence will dwell with us, that God will be with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. I would encourage you, pursue this God. Learn what it means to trust him in life's difficult moments. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we are able to uh, have life and have it abundantly. That though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear evil. Because your presence has been guaranteed through Christ. I pray that we would learn to trust him. I pray that we would learn to follow him. I pray that we could, uh, one more time, give ourselves to him, that we could be the people who uh, can lead others towards Christ. Would you please help us? Would you please guide us and be with us? We love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray.